the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today on the program, we're going to share a conversation I had with John Agresto. He is the author of The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. We'll also talk with uh, Dennis Prager in the second hour of today's program, a conversation I had on his Rational Bible. It's a series. He's finished the third in that five-part series on Deuteronomy. He'll join us in the latter part of the second hour of today's program. So that's coming up uh, today. We do want to cover some of the day's headlines, beginning with the vice president. She uh, talked about the president, President Biden, marijuana decriminalization, migrant buses during a late night appearance, calling it a fair-minded approach. John Fetterman helped release a man convicted of murdering an elderly woman. And by the way, he has agreed to debate Dr. Oz. It will be another couple of weeks from now. Lots of ballots will already have been turned in, but at least he's going to face off with his opponent. In talk show drama, Kathy Lee defends Regis after Kelly Ripa wrote a bombshell memoir. On the political agenda, Oklahoma's governor is blasting environment, social and corporate governance as anti-American. Financial companies that boycott the energy industry are pushing anti-American political agenda. The Oklahoma governor, Kevin Stitt, told Fox News, ESG is kind of rewriting how you invest. Instead of focusing on the value of your shareholders or to your shareholders, it's more of a political agenda, the governor said. It breaks down the free market principles of capitalism that we're used to in investing and So it's anti-American, end quote. Bringing home the bacon, President Biden is battling California in the Supreme Court fight over pork. No, not that kind of pork. We're talking about actual pork. Well, Democrats and the Me Too movement are silent after Politico outs a um, sexual assault on a Republican candidate. Disinformation campaign, a potential Hunter Biden uh, charge, underscores failed progressive narratives, according to Observers and Carnival Barkers, a New York Magazine writer, lashed out at media questioning John Fetterman's fitness for office. He's the candidate, of course, that had a stroke um, shortly after announcing. Well, Florida's Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, he announced new guidance regarding mRNA shots, warning that they are associated with an 84 percent increase in cardiac related adverse events among males 18 to 39. Dr. Lapato, he oversees the Florida Department of Health, known as the Florida Health, which has issued updated guidance on the COVID-19 mRNA injections based on recent analysis compiled from the state's based uh, database, including the state's reportable disease repository known as Merlin, the Florida State Health Online Tracking System, 
and death records data via vital statistics. Even though the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention could have done this research earlier since the uh, data was there a year ago, Florida health researchers used Florida data on vaccinations, death, COVID test results, and merged the data using a self-controlled case series or SCCS method. Well, this technique was previously developed years ago to evaluate vaccine safety by analyzing death as related to injection exposure. Well, since the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna mRNA injections require a multi-dose set schedule, a single modification was employed where the last vaccination uh, preceding death was utilized as the single exposure. Well, this analyst, uh, analyst rather found that there is an 84% increase in the relative incidence of cardiac-related death among males 18 to 39 years old within 28 days following mRNA vaccination. Therefore, Florida Surgeon General Lopato, he recommends against males in this age range from receiving the shots. A little late in the game, and there was an effort to uh, to silence him, to censor him from social, social media platforms. They have since reversed themselves. Well, isn't everything racist these days? Well, the View host, Sonny Hostin, she's fuming over being called a racist on social media. And saying, I'm not surrendering, a Detroit news writer hit progressive educators for usurping her parental rights. And a holiday roast, Senator Warren is being mocked for Indigenous Peoples Day tweet. And dangerous drug, former U.S. drug czar William Bennett said the United States is right now soft on too many things, including the criminals who are smuggling deadly fentanyl into the country and contributing to the death of numerous Americans. Bennett declared America's fentanyl crisis an invasion. Anti-regime actions, protests have hit Iran's oil and petrochemical sectors. Fallen on hard times, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen falls, um, her fall is not unlike the economies. Like many Americans today, Yellen has fallen on hard times. Despite her title as Treasury Secretary, she's been reduced to playing Orwellian word games for the Biden administration, illustrating her descent to political mouthpiece. Well, stocks tumbled and NASDAQ drops to a two-year low. CNBC reports that stocks closed lower on Monday with the NASDAQ composite index falling to the lowest level in two years as tech shares continue to be the hardest hit in this bear market because of spiking interest rates. The declines came as J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon warned that the U.S. would likely fall into a recession in 2023 and that it may not be just a mild economic contraction as some economists have projected. A policy change uh, weighed on semiconductor stocks after the Biden administration announced new export controls that limit U.S. companies selling advanced computing semiconductors and related manufacturing equipment to China. Tech shares have also been hit the hardest in this sell-off as rising rates expose their relatively high valuations and raise their cost of capital. Wall Street Journal reports the S&P 500 turned lower after opening with slight gains shedding 27.27 points or 0.7% to close at 300 or rather 3612.39 the dow jones industrial average um, edged down 93.91 points or 3 or 0.3% while the nasdaq composite fell 110.30 points or 1% president biden sinks below a 50% approval on issues americans care most about with less than a month to go until the midterm election. Is it just me or are you looking forward to the midterm elections being over? Just just over. 
I mean, I want the outcome to be favorable, but I would just like it to be in the rearview mirror. Anyway, with less than a month, that's the good news, to go until the midterm elections, President Biden's approval ratings are in the dump. Uh, Now a new poll shows just how bad things really are. Fewer than one in four people, or 24 percent, think America is going in the right direction. The Ipsos poll of 1,003 people, pretty small poll, 63 percent think the U.S. is on the wrong track. Biden's approval rating is less than 50 percent on every single one of the top 10 issues Americans most care about. The Ipsos poll, the economy, 30 percent, crime or corruption, 9 percent, and the end of national abortion rights, 8 percent, are the top three issues for Americans this week. The economy has been at the top of America's list for a full year now. So interestingly, economy first, crime and corruption second, and then abortion rights. Well, according to the police report, the shooting just outside Lee uh, Zeldin's home, he's a gubernatorial candidate, uh, injured two teenagers. CBS reported that police say two teenagers were shot outside the uh, uh, representative Lee Zeldin's home on Sunday afternoon. At one point, he says they were so close, they were right underneath his porch. An incident um, marks the uh, second scare Zeldin, the Republican nominee for governor, has had to face in almost three months. Zeldin was not home at the time, but his daughters were. They're twins. The entire family is okay, but two people who were shot and found on his property, leaving many unanswered questions. Rising crime has been a central theme in Zeldin's campaign for governor against Democrat Kathy Hochul. Suffolk County police said the shooting has no connection to the Zeldin family. A police spokesperson said the two people injured in the incident have been transported to area hospitals for treatment. A law enforcement source uh, told CNN that the two men were uh, walking down the street on a the congressman's block when a car pulled up and opened fire. In other words, a drive-by. The two men then ran towards Zeldin's home as the car sped away. The source said both men are expected to survive their injuries. The source also added. Well, in a windy city exodus, Tyson Foods, well, they've left Chicago for Arkansas. Well, Tyson Foods announced last week that all employees in the Chicago area would be relocated rendering the meat and poultry company one of the multiple businesses to pull operations from the Windy City in recent months. Beginning next year, Tyson staffers will relocate from Chicago and Dakota Dunes, South South Dakota, toward the firm's corporate headquarters in Springdale, Arkansas, which will receive upgrades designed to enhance workers' creativity and collaboration. Fox Business reports that you're talking about a situation where you have A hollowed-out economy where you have businesses leaving, there are no jobs. Heritage Foundation senior research fellow in the Center for Health and Welfare Policy, Robert Moffitt, said uh, last month, the people who are desperately hurt by this are uh, are mostly low-income and black and minority residents who suffer the most from this high crime. Moffitt's comments came after McDonald's CEO Chris Kempsensky, Kempsensky, Uh, took aim at Chicago in a mid-September speech, arguing that the city's rising crime rates have made it increasingly difficult for companies to operate or find employees. No big news there, I I guess. We're going to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we'll hear from John Agresto. He's the author of The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. And later in the second hour, Dennis Prager and his Rational Bible, this time in the third edition, focusing on Deuteronomy. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris says nobody should have to go to jail for smoking weed. 
Despite her record for pot prosecutions as a San Francisco prosecutor, well, the vice president um, claimed that no one should go to jail for smoking marijuana over the weekend. Now, she is representing the Fed, despite the fact she oversaw over 2,000 convictions as a prosecutor. We're also changing, y'all. Uh, might have heard that this week, the federal government's approach to marijuana, the vice president said on Saturday at an event in Austin, Texas, because the bottom line there is nobody should have to go to jail, and you heard the statement. Well, while running for state attorney general in 2010, Harris opposed a statewide ballot measure to greenlight marijuana use, calling the initiative flawed public policy. She also admitted to smoking weed in college during a radio interview while running for president and ticked off her um, father, the Jamaican-born Donald Harris, when she invoked his um, her heritage, which is also his, while saying she would support pot legalization. Half my family's from Jamaica, Harris said. Are you kidding me? Her father was not impressed or amused. The president of the Teachers Union, uh, Randy Weingarten, visited Ukraine as American schools are faltering. American Federation of Teachers uh, President Weingarten faced criticism from some on social media for taking a trip to Ukraine while many U.S. schools are floundering. Weingarten is joining pediatrician and public health uh, activist Dr. Erwin Redlener, Karen Redlener, and Rabbi Sharon um, Kleinbaum uh, in Ukraine this week to meet with Ukrainian students and teachers displaced by the war. The group went to offer solidarity and support in the face of relentless attacks that have forced hundreds of thousands of refugees to flee the country's east. Um, Matt Whitlock weighs in, pointing out that in Ukraine, kids got stuck with extended remote learning because of an actual war. In America, kids got stuck with extended remote learning because of Randy Weingarten. Not quite the same thing. Russian-speaking hackers claimed responsibility for disrupting 14 American airport websites, more than a dozen uh, public-facing airport websites, including those for some of the nation's largest airports, appeared inaccessible Monday morning, and Russian-speaking hackers claimed responsibility. No immediate signs of impact to actual air travel were reported, suggesting the issue may be an inconvenience for people seeking travel information. The 14 websites include the one for Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. The hacking group known as Killnet listed multiple U.S. airports as targets. It stepped up activity to target organizations in NATO countries after Russia's February invasion of Ukraine. The loosely organized hacktivists, as they call themselves, are politically motivated to support the Kremlin, but ties to Moscow are unknown. The group claimed responsibility last week for knocking offline U.S. state government's websites. Axios weighs in. Uh, the Department of Defense's uh, uh, attack work attacks work by uh, overwhelming a target server service or network with a flood of internet uh, traffic and either force websites offline or make them very slow to respond to legitimate traffic. The affected airports included Chicago O'Hare International Airport, Atlanta Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, and New York City's LaGuardia. On selective service requirements, trans women, a.k.a. men, must register while trans men, a.k.a. women, are off the hook. I know, it's confusing. Well, according to the American Military News, under President Joe Biden's administration, transgender women, 
also known as men who were born male, must register for the Selective Service, which provides the Defense Department with troops in the event of a military draft. Transgender men who were born female do not have to register for the Selective Service. While the policy was established before Biden took office, the administration hasn't changed this standard. According to the Selective Service System website, nearly all male U.S. citizens and male immigrants who are 18 through 25 are required to register with Selective Service. Selective Service says that parents, if your son is an only son and the last male in your family to carry the family name, he is still required to register with SSS. Russia has launched a slew of missiles across Ukraine cities, killing at least 14. The Wall Street Journal reports that waves of Russian missiles slammed into Kiev and other Ukrainian cities in one of the broadest and most intense barrages of the war. In response to a weekend attack, Moscow blamed on Ukraine that seriously damaged a bridge connecting Russia to occupied Crimea. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Russia had carried out dozens of strikes using missiles as well as Iranian-made drones to target the country's electric grid and other civilian infrastructure. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Monday warned of a harsh response if Kyiv were to conduct further terrorist attacks in their own defense following a war that they did not start. Following weeks of battlefield losses that culminated in the attack on the strategically important Kirsch Strait Bridge. The BBC says the U.S. said brutal attacks had hit non-military targets and promised ongoing military aid, including advanced air defense systems. United Nations Chief Antonio Guterres says he has uh, was deeply shocked. The full number of casualties from the attack is not yet clear, but Ukrainian President Zelensky said there were at least 14 dead and 97 injured. In addition to the human toll, the strikes damaged significant parts of Ukraine's energy grid, prompting the nation's uh, energy ministry to announce it would halt exports of electricity to the European Union starting Tuesday. The docuseries Border Battle is available now. It's a docuseries that chronicles the horrifying condition on America's southern border and the consequences of decades-long government neglect, leaving the border in ruins, and it's only getting worse. The border has become one of the most controversial, divisive, and explosive topics in American life. Border Battle is being shown exclusively at Salem Now. Well, possibly Durham's last case, well, today begins the trial of Igor Danchenko. He's accused by special investigator John Durham of five counts of lying to the FBI. Durham's investigation into those responsible for creating the Russian collusion hoax, a hoax that handicapped much of Donald Trump's presidency, has failed to net any major players or any significant members within the Justice Department. As Judicial Watch founder Tom Fitton observed, three years and three prosecutions just to describe uh, to describe it as a uh, as to condemn it to, as a failure, the Durham investigation has spent over five million dollars and three years investigating the political crime of the century. Its scope and the level of government corruption dwarfs the Watergate scandal. But thanks to a mainstream media beholden to one political narrative, much of the country still believes that the hoax created by Hillary Clinton's campaign is valid. What may end up being the lasting value of the Durham investigation is that it did expose the scope of the hoax and the degree to which the political corruption has spread into the Justice Department. Unfortunately, however, it appears that those behind this corruption will not face justice. Georgia candidate Abrams uh, claims it's a fallacy that we know when pregnancy begins. Apparently, she has a medical degree. Well, Georgia Democrat gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is not a scientist. 
Uh, nor is she a medical professional, although she apparently believes she should be. Fresh off denying a baby's heartbeat, Abrams, who advocates that there should be no limits placed on abortion, was questioned as to her extreme views on the subject. She responded, the arbitrary standards of timelines ignore the medical reality that it is a a fallacy. We know exactly when the pregnancy begins, that we know exactly where we are in the system. I mean, in the term. The truth is that modern science has long known the exact moment of a pregnancy. It's when the sperm fertilizes the egg. At that exact moment, a zygote is formed and beginning a human life at that time. Even Planned Parenthood doesn't deny this scientific reality, as information on its website notes. Pregnancy officially starts when a fertilized egg implants in the lining of the uterus. Any politician who would blatantly deny reality shouldn't be seriously considered by voters. And yet she persists. Russia loses a bridge and targets civilians. And Tulsi Gabbard announces she's leaving the Democrat Party in a fiery takedown, referring to her own party that she's exiting as cowardly. President Joe Biden falsely claims that he personally created 10 million jobs. Actually, it was me. I created the 10 million jobs. Kelly C. Chabasky is projected to defeat 20-year incumbent Lisa Murkowski, Election forecaster says, and yes, I did butcher the name. Conservative PACs have injected uh, millions into local school races and Colorado officials incorrectly sent out 30,000 voter registration postcards to non-citizens. Twitter blocks and then restores COVID vaccination posts for Florida's Surgeon General. Spoke about that earlier in the program. And Harvey Weinstein's sex crimes trial in Los Angeles opens with jury selection. The Supreme Court rejected an appeal from Dylan Roof, who killed nine. And Gavin Newsom signed a bill getting rid of plastic produce bags. Tyson Foods' latest largest business will flee Chicago. And Nissan pulls out of Russia, sells all its assets to the state for one euro. New Zealand farmers are fuming after the government proposes an animal gas tax. And the liberal media is spinning rising violent crime as a a vast right-wing conspiracy. So those uh, numbers of uh, violent crime, uh, crimes across the country aren't actually happening. It's all part of a right-wing conspiracy. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, Coming up, John Agresto, author of The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students, and what to do about it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest makes the point that the liberal arts are dying. They're dying because most Americans don't see the point of them. Americans don't understand why anyone would study literature or history or the classics or more contemporarily, feminist criticism, whiteness studies, or the literature of post-colonial states. When they can, well, get an engineering or a business degree. Even more concerning is when they read how Western civilization has become a term of reproach at so many supposedly thoughtful institutions. Or how fanatical political correctness works hard to silence alternative viewpoints. Or more generally, how liberal studies have become scattered, narrow, and small. In this atmosphere, it's hard to convince them of or their progeny that the liberal education is all that uh, wonderful 
or that it's even worthy of respect. So how can we rebuild the notion that a liberal education is truly a value both to students and to the nation? Well, my next guest is John Agresto. He has taught at the University of Toronto, Kenyon College, Duke University, Wabash College, and the New School University. He was a scholar at the National Humanities Center in North Carolina and later served in senior positions at the National Endowment for the Humanities. He was president of the St. John's College for 11 years and in 2003 went to Iraq as the senior advisor for higher education and scientific research for the Coalition Provisional Authority. Though recently retired as the uh, uh, probate judge in Santa Fe County, he remains president of John Agresto and Associates and Educational Consulting Company. He joins us today to talk about his latest book titled The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine. I'm a, I'm, this is a pleasure. Well, thank you. It is for me as well. You begin the book by pointing out that in one way or the other, the liberal arts and liberal education have become a part of your life uh, for um, well over 50 years. Let's yeah. begin at the beginning uh, and, and discuss what are we talking about when you refer to liberal education or liberal arts education? Yeah. Uh, what we're not talking about is liberal versus conservative uh, or liberal as a political ideology. We're talking about a kind of education that liberates the mind, that makes kids, by, by, by and large, but all of us, when we study history, philosophy, the classics, uh, English or world literature, makes us understand better, see the world better, see the world more clearly. Uh, it gives us, to be blunt about it, uh, it gives us insight into the some of the most important things, and it does it by uh, by reading and by teaching how to, us how to think. Uh, and it's it's one of the greatest gifts of Western civilization to humanity. We we have a, an education that seeks to do a few things first to liberate the mind of our students, to liberate our mind, uh, to teach us how to tell. Uh, better from worse, uh, smarter from dumber, uh, and it, it's not only a benefit to us, but if it does what it says, I hope it does, uh, and it's not doing it well these days, it's a benefit to the country. Uh, we are people who desperately need to know history, need to know what models of human excellence are, uh, to see what others have done, to learn what what to learn from Western civilization, both its 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 goodness and and its mistakes, uh, uh, we it just makes us smarter about things that matter. If I could put it that yeah, yeah. that succinctly, what has been the the primary enemy of a liberal arts education? Uh, <laughs> How long do we have? Huh? <laughs> I'm glad you said primary enemy. Because you said what's the enemy? I would say, well, come on, there are 18 enemies, 20, maybe 30. Uh, the uh, uh, the enemy right now uh, is a couple of things. Let's let's take the obvious ones. Uh, I do not think that kids don't want to know about uh, how should I live. Uh, what are models of human excellence? What's justice? What's truth? Uh, what's love? What's hate? Uh, uh, they don't. They want to know what uh, what the world is like. 
what makes it tick. They want to know what causes things and what the effects of things are. They long to know these things. They long to know what justice and love and hate are, what what, what, whether democracy is the best way to live. They long to know these things. And two things happen. They look at the liberal arts and they find out that the liberal arts don't have a clue anymore what, how to approach those subjects. They've, they've been so corrupted by graduate school and graduate school learning and research that teaching about the important things of life has escaped us. The second thing is, and this is a problem uh, that's been growing for quite a while. We're a country very much in love with, and not unfairly so, with work, with getting ahead, with making things, with being productive. Uh, and so we gravitate, given the choice, well, do you want to major in, in classics, or do you want to major in philosophy? Do you want to major in English, or do you want to major in engineering, make a lot of money? Do you want to major in business? business, make a lot of money. Uh, maybe you want to major in, well, you name it. Uh, we, we know. And, uh, and since it, in most places, it costs just as much to get a business degree and learn accounting or finance or marketing as it does to uh, learn uh, Shakespeare and literature and Plato and Aristotle, most kids are going to say, and most parents are going to say, don't waste our money. Get a business degree. You don't, don't, don't worry about that other stuff. That, those are the two things, I think, at the forefront of what's killing the liberal arts. Well, of course, uh, some young people might suggest, well, we have the Internet, and that's providing you know, insight into what justice looks like and the meaning of life and so on. I, my guess is you probably wouldn't agree that that's a great source for the kind of liberal arts <laughs> learning <laughs> that you, you wrote about. <laughs> no, but, no, but I... Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I understand that. I even have a little footnote in there somewhere where I once heard uh, uh, someone say, uh, a young lady say, I didn't know you could learn about love from Shakespeare. I thought you had to go on the Internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Google love and Google and, and then read Shakespeare. And I think you'll see a lot more complexity, a lot more thoughtfulness in Shakespeare than you will in uh, most Google, most Google uh, uh, hits, uh, but no, I wouldn't agree with that. Uh, and the truth is, the other thing that's happening is uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not an enemy of the internet. I uh, when I have to look up something, is I go to Wikipedia. I really do. I go to Google, uh, but we've lost we've lost sight of reading, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and without reading. Uh, and I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but there was a time when, when you wanted to learn, you read. Uh, and, you, and you went to a college where they had great books, uh, where you just didn't read, you know, anything or even slop. What you read were people who challenged your mind, challenged you to think, made you think about important things, about things that mattered. Uh, and then the other thing that the Internet cannot do, besides sort of hiding the idea of great books, uh, uh, the other thing the Internet can't do, except maybe in chat rooms, you really can't have a discussion the way you do in a seminar, where you sit around the table, you and, and the prof professor or two professors and and. 10, 12, 14, 18, even students, and you talk about the book. 
I have, I've been a teacher now for over 50 years, pretty well over 50 years, and nothing is more exciting than a seminar where people say, could you say that again uh, to another <laughs> student? Could, could you explain, how, why do you say that? I see. Now I see. It is so exciting, so lovely to see people talking to one another. Re- reading, I don't, I don't want to diminish it. Reading is excellent. Reading by yourself, if that's what you have to do, that's fine. But reading and then discussing it with people who are interested and excited and, and, and want to have a conversation, that's, that's perfection. Yeah, that's best of all. Is the rejection of Western civilization at the heart of the rejection of uh, liberal arts or liberal education? It, it sure is part of it. I mean, it used to be that when kids went to college, certainly when oh, you and I went to college, uh, uh, there was always a required course in Western Western civilization, a history course. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it were really good, it was a, you had a history course, and then you had sort of the history of of Western thought. You had uh, you went from Plato and Aristotle uh, up to uh, up to up to uh, up to Descartes, up to uh, Locke, up to Hobbes, up to uh, uh, Whitehead, uh, up to modern philosophy, uh, and you covered the whole the whole range, uh, and you covered you covered such a wide range that you could see you could see the, that there are no easy answers. Uh, what's justice? Uh, what makes democracies work and what makes democracies fail? What should I love and what should I not love? Uh, what do I owe myself? What do I owe my parents? What do I owe my country? The great philosophers give us insight. Insight. They, they may not always give us the final answer. And, if, and, and we've got to be careful of final answers because uh, just worry about people who say, I got the final answer for you. I know what it is. But you want to see what all the great alternatives are. Uh, uh, Jefferson uh, uh, learned so much. Uh, we, we, we dismissed Jefferson, uh, mm-hmm. just like we dismissed Aristotle. We're even learning now we've got to dismiss Washington and Lincoln. Uh, uh, these people thought about, let's just go back to what I was mentioning before, thought about liberty, equality, and democracy in ways that when students of goodwill look into it, they say, I never thought of that. That really is amazingly, that's important. But here's a person who says something different. That's important, too. It helps us uh, so to yeah, think Western critically. civilization in its sweep. Yeah, yeah. It, it is not, Western civilization is not a, uh, a, a progression of a good idea, better idea, best idea. Western civilization is a progression of a conversation about thinking, about thinking seriously, about alternatives, and about giving students the ability to understand. And once they have a good education, they're not so easily fooled by what they read, what they read online or what they, what they hear uh, on television. Elsewhere. Well, I tell you what, we need to take a break, but we'll be back in a few moments. Again, we're talking about the book, The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. John Agresto, my guest. We'll be back. <laughs> 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with John Agresto, author of The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. Well, I want to spend the remainder of our time, which is relatively short, on what to do about it. Um, you made the case that we have drifted away from uh, liberal education or liberal arts education and some of the reasons why that's the case. How do we how do we move back in a direction that will, I, I would say, add depth and breadth to a student's education who may choose to be an engineer, but also has uh, the the broader background of the classics, for example? Yeah. 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 Uh... First, we have to understand that getting a liberal arts education does not disable you from becoming an engineer or a doctor or, or a chef or a mechanic or a, or a good husband or a good wife. Uh, it's it, There is no antagonism between the liberal arts and the prof- and professional or, or, or technical learning, number one. Uh, uh, number two... Uh, we talked about liberal education, uh, I did at least, and you could tell I was talking so fast, I keep getting so excited about this, <laughs> Georgine. Uh, the, uh, uh, as, as something that liberates the human mind. The other thing it does, and this is why liberal education, I think, is suspect these days, because people say, why do I want to see, why, why should kids learn liberal things? Why can't they learn conservative things? Uh, I think the answer is the liberal arts, or as you keep rightly called it liberal arts education, is such so paradoxical in a way. It not only teaches us how to think, to use our imaginations, think new thoughts, but think old thoughts. Liberal arts education conserves the learning of civilization. Uh, it is probably the most conservative thing you can do in education. And the left understands this, Georgine, because the left wants to get rid of Aristotle and Shakespeare and Locke and Newton uh, and uh, and not read those things. They want to say, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. And to be honest, on most campuses, go, it's, it has. How do we restore it to answer your, your current mm-hmm. question? Mm-hmm. What we have to do is uh, first convince parents uh, that liberal education is worthwhile for their kids, worthwhile for the country. Number two, we've got to get rid of this idea that, uh, you know, to sit down in a class where you've read a book and you talk about it cannot cost as much as becoming a petroleum engineer. It, it is outrageous what colleges do, how they beggar the liberal arts in order to support their uh, their engineering labs, uh, and, you know, and their, and their pre-med programs, all of which are valuable. And they're so valuable, everybody knows that if you go through them, you're going to make a lot of money. They should, be, they should cost what they need to cost. Uh, colleges are really, universities really are killing the liberal arts by charging 50, 60, even more thousand dollars mm-hmm. a year so you could read Shakespeare with a bunch of like-minded students. Uh, the other thing is uh, that, uh, the, the, that there are a number of places that have never lost the spark of liberal learning. Uh, I was president for St. John's College uh, here in Santa Fe, and we have a branch in Annapolis uh, uh, for 11 years. And we still read the great books, and we read them very seriously. There are lots of religious colleges 
It used to be thought that religion and the liberal arts were enemies. Uh, and in fact, I remember when I went to Boston College, a Catholic university, Phi Beta Kappa wouldn't give us a Phi Beta Kappa char- charter because they said we were a sectarian school. Uh, and therefore we couldn't be a liberal arts university. What baloney that is. Uh, uh, but there are still a lot of colleges that have a traditional religious uh, base that are liberal arts colleges. Baylor's a good one. Thomas Aquinas College in California is a great one. Uh, there are very many liberal arts colleges uh, that are that are. Uh, have re- religious bases, uh, which I also think is very good since the liberal arts uh, teach many wonderful things. I don't think they teach you uh, uh, faith, hope, and charity, uh, which are important, That I do believe uh, sometimes a religious college does better by our students than, than anything else. Uh, but the other thing is there are colleges not ones that only exist, but new ones coming up. Uh, they started a, a new college uh, in Texas, the University of Austin. I think that's uh, a great model. People are getting sick and tired of the narrowness of the liberal arts, the fact that teachers can only teach their dissertations these days, uh, that the liberal arts have become small, that the liberal arts have become political, uh, that's what you think of when you think of the liberal mm-hmm. arts. Uh, and and there are places, good places, uh, and they always need support so they can keep that cost down too. Uh, there are good places that are really traditional liberal arts colleges. Not as much as they used to be, but there are places. Are you optimistic that people are beginning to recognize the loss and uh, perhaps reconsidering how to reincorporate the liberal arts in colleges and universities? I, 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 I am optimistic uh, because you said people, and I do believe people, if by that you mean parents, aunts, mm-hmm. uncles. Uh, yeah, I do believe that's the optimistic side. I do not believe that professors, college administrators, university functionaries, I do not believe that they uh, are on board with this. I mean, it used to be that uh, college presidents used to say that the liberal arts were the crown jewel of their offerings. Mm-hmm. They don't say that anymore. They, they say that their their engineering programs, their technology programs, their business school, those are the crown jewels of modern university. Uh, there's a, a nobody. Students think the liberal arts are boring, and to be honest, today they are, uh, and uh, useless. Uh, for their future, and to be honest, today they are. And uh, uh, colleges and university administrators and professors uh, are not as interested in teaching the liberal arts as they used to. Although I have to say, if you want to find people who still have a respect for the liberal arts who are uh, teaching universities, a lot of people in the business schools and many people in the sciences say, you know, you really should study the liberal arts too. I just wish more people in teaching the liberal arts would say that. Yeah. Well, the book we've been talking about is The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. It really goes into much more depth than our conversation and our limited time would reflect. But if you are concerned, I, I have a liberal arts education. If you're concerned about the future, 
um, and how to perhaps restore some of what's been lost. This is a great volume to do just that. The book is published by Encounter. And again, my guest, uh, John Agresto. Thank you so much for the time you've spent with us here today and for the oh, book. Thank you, Georgie. And this Bye-bye. was excellent. Bye-bye. Again, The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll hear from Dennis Prager, author of The Rational Bible. This is the third in a series of five. He will write two additional books of the Torah, this time focusing on the book Deuteronomy. That's coming up in the last two segments of this second hour. Well, as mentioned, Tulsi Gabbard says she's leaving the Democratic Party, citing cowardly wokeness, hostility to people of faith. Well, the former Democratic presidential candidate and Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard called on independent minded Democrats to join her Tuesday morning as she announced her exit from the Democratic Party, citing a raft of concerns, including the party's uh, cowardly wokeness, their stoking of anti-white racism, hostility to people of faith and elitism. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that is now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoke anti-white racism. Gabbard began in a statement shared on Twitter Tuesday with her 1.6 million followers. Well, the Democratic Party, she alleges, actively works to undermine our God-given freedoms, are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, demonize the police and protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, believe in open doors, um, uh, open borders, weaponize the national security state to go after uh, political opponents, and above all, dragging us ever closer to nuclear war, end quote. Well, under President Joe Biden, the Justice Department has indicted 11 pro-life activists for organizing an event blockading an abortion clinic, she added. They didn't use physical force. They, were, uh, they weren't dangerous. Uh, but, but seven of them are facing 11 years in prison and fines of $250,000. The Biden Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security have focused their newly formed domestic terror unit to target parents who are vocally standing in opposition to radical curriculums and explicit sexual content being taught to young children in our public schools, labeling parents as terrorists for showing up at school board meetings and demanding change. Again, end quote. Gabbard, who delivered her statement in writing and a video clip lasting just over one minute, further discussed her reasons for leaving the Democratic Party in the first episode of the Tulsi Gabbard show, which was also launched on Tuesday. I believe in a government that is of, by, and for the people. Unfortunately, today, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government of, by, and for the powerful elite. She continued before calling on independent-minded Democrats to join her. Again, quoting Gabbard. I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you could not if you can no longer stomach the direction that so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, I invite you to join me, she urged. Gabbard is 41. She's a veteran who served in Iraq with the Hawaii Army National Guard. She was also the youngest person to win the seat in the Hawaii legislature and the first um, Hindu woman in Congress. When she decided not to run for re-election in 2019, she cited her presidential aspirations. And while Gabbard embraced left-leaning domestic policy, according to The Washington Post, Her allegiance to the Democratic Party has long been under question. 
As she sought the nomination of the Democratic Party during her presidential bid in 2019, Hillary Clinton, who was the 2016 Democratic presidential nominee, accused her of being a Russian asset. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who is currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate, Clinton said on a podcast with David Plouf, an advisor to former President Barack Obama. She's the favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her so far. And that is uh, that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, uh, which she might not because she is also a Russian asset. Yeah, she's a Russian asset. I mean, totally. And again, that's quoting Hillary Clinton or responding to Clinton's comments that year. Gabbard said she was attacked by Clinton because Clinton knows she can't control her. This is a message to every veteran in this country who has put their life on the line to serve our country, to every single American who believes strongly that we must end this um, this longstanding foreign policy of being the world's police, Gabbard told CBS News, and ending these regime change wars, which is really the legacy of Hillary Clinton. Very strong words from the uh, former candidate. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Also, later this hour, Dennis Prager, The Rational Bible. Focusing on Deuteronomy. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, Dennis Prager and Deuteronomy. So stick around. Well, to weaponize the administrative state, shortly after Congress voted with no Republican support to expand the IRS, by 87,000 new employees, Democratic Representatives Adam Schiff and Judy Chu of California introduced a bill to use the IRS as a vehicle to redefine infertility. Now, under the Equal Access to Reproductive Care Act, same-sex couples and single men would be able to deduct assisted reproductive care, including surrogacy, as a medical expense on their tax returns without having to demonstrate a medical-physical infertility. Well, Schiff's uh, press release goes so far as to equate the pain felt by fertile same-sex couples with the pain felt by infertile male-female couples, where one in the couple is literally infertile. Typically, the tax deduction is available for men and women after they were diagnosed as infertile. uh, That's based on the inability to conceive after 12 months of unprotected, well, Coupling. Well, Schiff claims that um, failing to offer fertile same-sex couples an infertility benefit is a form of discrimination. But, of course, such men are not infertile. They aren't biologically deficient. Uh, After all, no two men can conceive a child together. Well, the California's bill would provide generous tax deductions to affirm an illusion. By replacing the biological definition of infertility, groups like men having babies are pushing to redefine infertility on the federal and state level. Their most recent efforts in Illinois resulted in the state redefining infertility to include a person's inability to reproduce either as a single individual or with a partner without medical intervention or based on a person's medical, sexual or reproductive history. Well, that treats infertility as a matter of personal feeling and precedent and uh, preference. And the question is, why does it matter? Well, for one thing, the bill would expand and normalize the use of surrogacy, which is not just another natural way to bear children. 
It is a complex process involving as many as five different actors and one that raises all sorts of medical and moral concerns. For instance, when a same-sex couple uses anonymous sperm or egg donations, they deprive the resulting child of either a mother or a father. Male same-sex couples also need a surrogate to undergo dangerous hormone stimulations and a pregnancy. Well, that transforms an intimate natural process into a commercialized order-on-demand market. It's also not like adoption or foster care. Both of these processes match the needs of children with a loving home. Surrogacy laws, in contrast, don't mandate background checks or home visits to ensure the child is being born to safe, loving parents. As a consequence, it's not uncommon to hear heartbreaking stories of male-commissioned surrogate children used for child pornography, pedophilia, or living in a home with men who have histories of sex-related crimes. Under the innocuous title of reproductive care, commercial surrogacy, that is, surrogacy contracted for uh, compensation, relies on male same-sex couples and single men renting the womb of a woman. A recent photo shoot in New York City captured the problem. If unwittingly it pictured two men looking into each other's eyes while a pregnant woman stood off in the background her own face obscured rather than recognize the biological reality of conception pregnancy and childbearing the image revealed how surrogacy turns a mother into a commodity women in these arrangements are no longer called mothers but instead gestational carriers who offer rent a womb services to the highest bidder and the price is high the Schiff Chew bill implies that each person has a right to a child, no matter the circumstances. Well, children are not accessories. They deserve the chance to be raised by both a mother and a father. Some children, due to abandonment, death, or unsafe environments, are raised without one or both parents. In those cases, priority is given to adoption, foster care, and community level support for single parents. In contrast, Same-sex and single-parent surrogacies conceives a child through artificial means. The goal is to raise the child without a mother or without a father. In either scenario, children are more likely to encounter physical or sexual abuse and suffer academic, emotional, and other harms throughout their lives, according to research. Surrogacy by design severs the natural ties of children to their parents. And by redefining infertility, the Equal Access to Reproductive Care Act pushes a reproductive illusion compromises the well-being of children, and commodifies women in our brave new world. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up next, we'll hear from Dennis Prager. He is the author of The Rational Bible, this time focusing on Deuteronomy. Genesis and Exodus have been covered as he is covering the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Uh, This latest edition is Deuteronomy. The other two books of the uh, first five books of the Bible are expected at some point in the future. Dennis Prager up next right here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, the question is, is the Bible the most influential book in world history still relevant? And why do so many people dismiss it as being irrelevant, irrational, immoral, or all of the above? Well, the Rational Bible Deuteronomy by my next guest, Dennis Prager, national radio host and best-selling author of the Rational Bible series, explains the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and demonstrates how it remains profoundly relevant, both to the great issues of our day and to each individual. If you doubt the existence of God because you think believing in God is irrational, this is a book you need to pick up and read. 
Well, my guest is Dennis Prager. He is the founder of the online nonprofit Prager University and the author of nine best-selling books on politics, religion, and happiness. Tens of millions of people watch his videos and millions more listen daily to his nationally syndicated broadcast um, radio show. With his knowledge of biblical Hebrew, he has uh, taught the Bible to people of every background for 40 years. And now he continues doing just that with his latest. It's simply Deuteronomy. The Rational Bible. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Torah, the third installment in your um, your series on the Rational Bible. Explain what the Rational Bible is, that title, and why Deuteronomy? I have as my vehicle to the Bible and to God reason. Uh, This is almost uh, heretical to say, but I don't accept things that don't make sense. That's that's my nature. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just my nature. And over the course of a lifetime of teaching and studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I came to realize that with enough research, everything makes sense. And I and I've tried to bring that to people because if you want the roots of the chaos that now reigns in America and in many other places in the Western world, it is that there is no longer any transcendent source of wisdom or of morality for that matter. And it is it was the Bible. That's why we called it a Judeo Christian civilization, because the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian New Testament. Of course, the Old Testament is also Christian, so both. So I I have been able to make sense of this. Uh, Obviously, uh, I have this gift from early uh, on of knowing biblical Hebrew very well. That was a big help, but it's not enough, obviously. And gradually, I came to realize this is, there's a reason it's the most influential book in history. There's a reason that the civilization that is based on the Bible, Western civilization, had more human rights, had more freedom, had more affluence, had more science, had more of everything precious than any other civilization in the world. That has nothing to do with race. It's an absurdity to even think it has anything to do with race. It's simply a values issue. So I have taken it upon myself to write this up. It's the hardest endeavor of my life to make, to make clear what every verse means, but that's what I've done. If people want to check out how people have reacted to Genesis and Exodus, there are 4,000 reviews of those two volumes on Amazon. And now Deuteronomy is coming out in a few days. It's the fifth, as you pointed out of the five books. I'm working on Numbers, the fourth, and then finally I will do the third, Leviticus. Now, Deuteronomy is unique in that most of the law is found there. Describe that book, the challenge of providing commentary on that book, and why it's important for us to understand what have been some of the controversial questions about Deuteronomy. It will come as a surprise to you, I suspect. It came a big surprise to me, and I I admit, sadly, I found out about this after I had already written Deuteronomy. 
But I found out maybe a month ago or two months ago, a a historian of America at the American University reported research done to find out what book or what books the founders of the United States cited most frequently. In second place was Montesquieu, the French Enlightenment thinker. And in first place was Deuteronomy. And I was blown away. Mm. I'm not shocked, but I didn't expect it. I thought if there would be a biblical book, it might have been Exodus because the founders saw themselves as a second Israel leaving Europe like the Israelites left Egypt. But lo and behold, it turns out to have been Deuteronomy. The book has more laws than any other single book. The book is Moses' recapitulation of everything that preceded it. And uh, it is filled with laws about everything, every aspect of life. I think my favorite, because it it gives people an idea of how unique the, the Torah and the Bible are, is a law in Deuteronomy that if you are fighting in a war, you're a soldier in a war, and you see a woman that you want, who's part of the nation that you have just fought, you may not touch her. If you want, you can bring her to your home. You must not touch her for 30 days while she mourns her family. Those are the words. And then if you want to just so much as touch her, you have to marry her. Can you imagine if the armies of the world had followed this in the history of, of, of warfare, where rape was as common as shooting your, your enemy? So that, that was written 3,200 years ago. So people ask, is it still relevant? My God, it's more relevant than ever. You've written an essay in the book called Fear of God is Morally and Psychologically Necessary. Can you make that case for us? I mean, as a as a Christian, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and the use of the word fear, you, you make a point that that word can be translated in a couple of ways. Talk a bit about the necessity and importance of the fear of God and what Deuteronomy tells us about that. Well, as it happens, uh, it is translated often as revere, but it's incorrect. It does mean fear. And as I have put it all of my life, if more Germans feared God God than Hitler, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust. If more Russians feared God than Stalin, there wouldn't have been Gulag. Fear of God is one of the most important moral ideas ever conceived that I feel I have to morally answer to God because there is divine punishment and reward. A professor at the University of Oregon did a peer-reviewed paper published in a scientific journal which showed they they analyzed thousands and thousands of people in, in like 80 countries where people believed in hell there was less violence. The notion that people will act beautifully without reward or punishment is as idiotic as people will drive carefully without the speed laws or punishments. That is that. So fear of God is, is the, 
in some ways the basis of a moral society. Uh, I just would add something that I think people should note. And again, it's a classic example of biblical wisdom that runs completely counter to our thinking today. There are two beings that the Torah, the first five books, tell us to fear. God and our mother and father. That's it. You should fear no one else and nothing else. And of course, to the modern mind, which is usually a a rather primitive mind, unsophisticated mind, they spend too much time in secular colleges, they, uh, they think that it's terrible a child should not fear a parent. So I did an experiment on my radio show. It's a blessing that I have a radio show because I can bounce any idea I want off millions of people. And I said, call me up and tell me if you didn't take drugs in high school, why didn't you? And virtually every single caller said, because I, I was afraid my mother would kill me. <laughs> that is such a healthy answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't fear your mother and father, that's not good. It doesn't mean you're scared. It doesn't mean you you you, you quake in fear at their presence because you, that you that you you fear they'll beat you up or something horrific or molest you. God forbid. But yes, you should fear them and you should fear God. In fact, fear of parents is the conduit to fear of God. That's why honor your father and mother is the is the fifth commandment, the one following four commandments about God. The conduit to God is is the parent. This is all brilliant stuff that is completely alien to the modern secular mind. There are a lot of lovely secular people, but there isn't a single secular institution with wisdom. The the proof of that is the universities are the the places of the most idiocy, like men give birth and America systemically racist. And they are the most secular institutions. It is not. It, it is not a coincidence. So the, the, these are a tiny, tiny handful of the insights that I tried to provide in the Rational Bible series. We're talking with Dennis Prager. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. Again, the series, the Rational Bible series, the latest edition, Deuteronomy: God, blessings, and curses. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dennis Prager. He is the author of the Rational Bible series and the latest edition, Deuteronomy. It's going to be out and available on the 11th of this month. That's next week. So check that out. Let me ask you some questions on some of the more controversial um, statements in the in the book of Deuteronomy, at least controversial in the 21st century, uh, which may indicate that we don't have any understanding of what the scriptures are saying. What is the uh, the commandment that neither sex can wear the clothing of the other mean today? Now, this would be completely unacceptable uh, in the secular universities, for example. But what does the scripture actually mean with regard to how men and women dress? It means exactly what it says. The 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 Bible, certainly the again the first five books, are rooted in the concept of distinctions: good and evil, human and animal, man and God, pure and impure, holy and and uh, impure, or holy and unholy, 
life and death, uh, and uh, male and female. The, the abolition of distinctions, which the radically radical secular world desires, uh, is going to mean the end of the civilization as we know it, and it's already happening. Mm-hmm. People telling children that they're not boys or girls, they'll decide later. The American Medical Association announcing that the sex of a child at birth should not be listed on, on the birth certificate. Th- these things are truly sick, not to mention completely non-rooted in science. Every animal is male and female except humans are I supposed to believe that? I guess I am supposed to believe that, but I don't. God created the human being, male and female, he created them. It's a major statement in the book of Genesis. And you preserve those distinctions by your behavior. So if a man publicly, what he does privately is his business. But what? Uh, but a man who publicly dresses as a woman uh, is is mixing up what should be separate. And the fear of the Bible, which we no longer take seriously, and that's why we now have this, where we have a drag queen story hour for five-year-olds, which is men, not even transgender men, men, dressing up as women and and dancing in front of the children, so as to thoroughly confuse them with regard to the binary nature of sexual identity. Human is sexually binary. There is male and there is female, and that is it. If somebody who is male thinks he is a female, that's a separate issue. The issue for the the Bible is if you're a man and you're identifiably male, don't wear women's clothing publicly. You're, you're mixing what should remain separate. Now, if you think that society is better now that more men will wear skirts, okay, you obviously have a non-biblical view of the world. We'll see if your world turns out to be a beautiful one. Hmm. Another issue that comes up quite frequently is whether or not God commanded the Israelites to commit genocide. When they were commanded to annihilate the Canaanites that had lived in the land that God had promised to them. Yeah, well, that that's a biblical uh, problem. It's not a Deuteronomy problem specifically, but... Uh, and it, it really occurs in Joshua, which is post uh, the first five books, which is what I deal with, and which have their own uh, specific holiness. But I'll, I'll happily address it. First of all, the Bible itself recounts that they never killed everybody there. They show up uh, quite later in the Bible. In fact, the Israelites often would intermarry with them, which is how the, the subject arose. What we have here is much more of a um, of normal hyperbole. We use it in sports: kill them, destroy them. Uh, it it uh, that's that's much more what is being talked about. But even if it were true, e- even if it's accurate, and we take it literally that God instructed, which he doesn't, it's Moses actually, but it doesn't matter. Let's say God instructed or Moses instructed the Israelites to kill all the Midianites or all the Canaanites. Let's say that is true. So therefore what? So therefore I reject love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore I I reject the Ten Commandments. Therefore I reject that law about not raping women in war and, and every other moral achievement of this book in making the best civilization that ever ever occurred 
See, if there were a law, whenever you go to war, wipe out every single man, woman, and child whom you fight, I, I will admit uh, it would be an, uh, an insurmountable obstacle to me morally with regard to the Bible. Because as I said originally, if it doesn't make sense to me, uh, I, I find it very hard to accept. But there is no such law. It's irrelevant to me today. If, if, if the creator of the universe thought that there was a reason to wipe out the people who engaged in child sacrifice, and it's constantly a refrain that these people were particularly evil and, and, and killed children in the, in the name of God, then, uh, you know, that's, that's what God would have wanted in one particular instance. You might as well say, I'm always amazed when people raise the issue of the Canaanites or the Midianites. Why don't they raise the whole issue of the world? The same Bible says God killed everybody on earth except for Noah and his family. Why don't people raise that one? That's more dramatic. <laughs> this is just a little, a little, uh, you know, nationality. That's the whole world. I, I, I never understood that. Why doesn't? Why don't you reject the Bible because of the flood? So uh, I, I don't know what to say. Did God command me to bring a flood? No. God brought a flood because he, he wants people to be good. If people screw it up, then he's going to start all over, and he did with Noah. Then we screwed it up again. Maybe maybe it'll happen, but, but he promised that he wouldn't at least bring another flood again. So we don't have to worry about that. There may be other reasons to worry. So uh, it, 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 look, if people want... If people want to create their own Bible in their brain, I am answerable only to myself, which is what most people now today in the secular world think. I answer to my own conscience and my own heart. If you think that that is a better guide to a good world than the Bible, which guided the creation of the United States of America more than any other text, then, among other things, I think you're foolish and incredibly arrogant. So while I acknowledge a problem, the, the infinitely larger picture is of the most moral document ever to shape a civilization. Was there a favorite thing that you learned as you researched and wrote the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy? Were you surprised by something? Well, that rape law, I got to say, has always struck me as one of the greatest advertisements for the, the moral achievement of Deuteronomy in the Bible generally, it, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. I mean, I could give you so many things. The fact that your animal has to rest on the Sabbath. I mean, what civilization in history ever said animals had to rest? This was such a unique development in, in the history of mankind that animals have to be treated well. You, you can't, there, there's a law that you can't, uh, plow with two animals of, of different size on the same plow because they'll pull at different rates. I, I, that you, you can't muzzle an ox when it uh, when it works in the fields. The, the, the concern with animals is unique in human history, where animals were tortured for fun, uh, as like cockfights and and the, and the burning of cats in in in, in, in a sporting event. So. Uh, it's filled with this stuff, and that, that's why I, 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 I ache for people to read it. If somebody reads any one of these three volumes that are out now, and they can start with any, any of the three, it doesn't matter which you start with, uh, and, and then say, yeah, well, it doesn't, it doesn't persuade me that this is the, the most 
remarkable moral work ever written, then, then, you know, more power to you. Then I would simply ask, what would you like to substitute for it? The New York Times? Hmm. Is there hope for the Judeo-Christian value system to prevail in American society again? Only if people who believe in it know how to make the case. And that's why I think this is so important for Christians and Jews to use because it'll give them the intellectual, moral arguments that they need. Again, the title of the book, the series, The Rational Bible, the latest to be released on the 11th, is Deuteronomy. Dennis Prager, thank you so much for talking with us, and I wish you the best of luck on this latest volume and can hardly wait for the next. That's great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.